Welcome to Book to Wear. Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, welcome to the inaugural episode of the second installment season of the Lazy Summer <laughs> Podcasting. I don't know. I mean, I know we're calling it that, but this is the second Lazy Summer, and this is the first episode. So, Lazy Summer 2.1. I'm just saying lazy summer in 2016. We're just going to do because, like, if we start numbering it five years from now, you're like, why do we ever start numbering it? We should just use the year. So, this is, right this is very, very true. Um, Rob, I have an interesting question for you. So, lazy summer of podcasting officially started for us on um, Monday night. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, what did, what did you do on Tuesday? You expect me to know what I did. The gonna, night last I'm gonna, night. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to tell you what you did because you did the same goddamn thing I did. You cracked open a book to read. I did. Yeah, we waited yeah. all of like 12 hours. <laughs> I'm two chapters into a book already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm one poem and two short stories into another book. Um, <laughs> astute listeners may deduce what I'm reading. Can, can, do you want to talk about poetry? Can we, do we have time to talk about poetry? Do we have a minute? Uh, we have exactly one minute. Because I have not said what I'm reading, this this collection starts with a poem. And motherfucker, here's what poem means. I wrote a really short story that has weird line breaks. Uh, accurate. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, I don't have it here, or I would read you like five of those lines and tell me how that differs from a really short story. Do you know what I mean? It, it reads yeah. just like anything else. Yeah, I don't know. Any rate, yeah. So, and you are reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I crack that bitch. Awesome. So probably uh, for like the twentieth time or whatever in my life. Yeah. So lazy summer has kicked off um, poorly. We're clearly bad at lazy. So. <laughs> and um, we're doing okay at summer though. There's been some hot days. There have been some hot days, and we are not going to review a book. I know it sounded like we were going to start talking books, but we're not. We're going to talk about a book that we already reviewed, and we are going to do so um, with our guest this week, Caleb J. Ross. That's right. And uh, before we bring him on, we're just going to do his bio really quick. Um, Caleb J. Ross appeared in the book anthology. Oh, no, wait. There's actually Olivia's. The longer bio this time. Yeah. Yeah. In, In addition to that part of the bio. Um, his writing has appeared widely both online and in print. He's the author of five books of fiction. Fission? Why can't fishing. they say fiction? <laughs> Can we ask him about the fishing books? Fishing <laughs> books. He is the author of five books of fiction and lives in Olath, Kansas. Is that how you would say it? Yeah, Olath. Uh, Olath. Visit his official page at calebjross.com. That's Caleb's bio. I'm taking it from the book. That's where we got that from. Uh, Amazon. Uh, Amazon, where where they sell the book. You didn't think I actually typed this shit out? I, well, lazy summer man. <laughs> now that I'm thinking of it, it's kind of stupid that I expected that of you. That's where the lazy comes in. Yep. Caleb, welcome back for your god fourth, fifth. I don't know. You've been you've been on this podcast a few times, going back way way back to like maybe episode nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, you know, it doesn't feel any less than 30 times, I promise. So Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we would have let you on that many times. But at any rate, welcome back. Congratulations on the book release. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. appreciate it. Caleb has uh, not only been a, a guest for the interviews, but um, we, we've reviewed at least one book with you when we did that um, Invisible Monsters remix. That was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I remember you made some sort of weird one. <laughs> 
weird voice of someone having like a mental problem or something. Yeah, it takes me back. Yeah, that usually happens in most <laughs> conversations with me. If you just talk to him long enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, the sad thing is it doesn't have to be that long before I start doing that. <laughs> Stick around to part two of this interview. I'm sure it'll happen. Um, so you're here for an interview, and I get the honor of doing the first question. So just strap in, because this one's going to just blow your hair back. You ready for this? You said in, not on, right? Whatever. Just You're, you're going to hear what you want to, so I'm just going to let okay. you. <clears throat> so the first question. Should Caleb J. Ross relaunch his writing career? And now we're all going to give our answer in three, two, one. Yes. No. <laughs> Fuck, that guy. Fuck Caleb J. Ross. I'm with Livius. <laughs> we did. I was honoring your podcast. I did it in your format. Thank you. I appreciate that. You have listened to an episode. <laughs> I've listened to every like, single episode like, when it comes out. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. I appreciate yep. it. Yeah. Um, more about that podcast, I think, a little later in this interview. But first, we are going to talk about um, about the book, The Soul Standard. Um, and Caleb has, um, I, I guess I have a, now, now it came to me that I have a second question, too. Um, first of all, tell us about the inspiration. How did, how did your story, specifically Four Corners, come together? Um, my, I really just set out to uh, write some, write, have the most fun writing that I've ever had before. And, and I, I have in the past when I was you know, really taking writing seriously, not to say that this isn't a serious writing endeavor, but in the past I, I always tried to, I think, I was thinking too much. I tried to make something literary, and and that's an interesting to me, and I really enjoyed it. But for this, I thought, you know, it's going to be a shorter piece. It's going to be a novella length. I just want to have as much fun with it as I possibly can. Um, I'm going to be working with three other people, three other people who I respect quite a bit. I don't want to have to try to write. I didn't want to be too subversive about it. I basically just wanted to have fun with it, and that's really all it was. It was a, it was a goal to try to have as much fun writing something as I possibly could. So taking that into consideration, um, how do you think this sizes up against the other writing that you've done, your short stories and your novels? Uh, how, or I guess a more a, be, a more focused question would be, um, do you like it kind of the same amount or do you consider it to be different because you took kind of a different approach? I like it probably about the same amount, honestly. Um, I It's definitely much faster paced, I think, than a lot of than a lot of my other stuff. Um, there's definitely less of a focus on uh, the word by word language and more of a focus on sort of the scene itself and the setting itself and just a, a more enjoyable uh, a format, I think. Um, I think uh, some of my older stuff, I think, tends to be a little bit dense. I'm, I'm a product of, of undergrad writing program where I, before I was even reading fiction, I was taught how to write it with a literary bent. And that was prob probably problematic thinking back on it. I probably spent a lot of years trying to be smart when really I didn't, shouldn't have done that. That maybe that's ultimately what led to writing burnout. I don't know, but, um, I, I like it. I like it about the same. I think it was definitely more fun to write and, and reading it, which I am a narcissist. So I'll go back and read my own work every once in a while, uh, going back and reading it. Um, I, I think I have as much fun reading it as my other stuff, but writing it was way more fun. So you really set the tone for the book by bringing us to the city and it's, um, you know, it's different areas and kind of the types of people that live there. How much input did the other three authors have specifically on the setup? Uh, we all collectively agreed that 
uh, we all collectively agreed with base, with the basics. We knew we wanted it to be sort of this city environment for the most part. There's um, a, a section that takes place kind of on the outside of the city. But for the most part, we wanted it to be this city environment, a sort of gritty environment, stuff that anybody familiar with, um, you know, uh, uh, it, a lot of – I guess I was going to I was going to mention the velvet, but I'm sure that'll come up later. Um, your listeners, I think, probably know the velvet and, and have heard you talk about them before. But um, I, we all agreed on that city. And, and as for the specific details, we really left that up to each individual person. We kind of just let each person go crazy with it. And then later, after we each wrote our piece, we kind of came back together and found out how we could stitch things together to make it a little bit more cohesive. But at the same time, we weren't really trying to make a single necessarily a single cohesive uh, narrative with all of the same characters, anything like that. That didn't really interest us. So we wanted to make sure that we just kind of avoided that. With that in mind, is there any part of the story or the book in general that is like wholly yours that carried over into other stories? Or was there enough individuality where we didn't see that too much? You know, I think if I remember correctly, this is so horrible that I'm like trying to remember back on this. This this book has been in de- in development for quite a long time, so I will not be surprised if some of your other interviewees have sort of the same hesitation. But um, if I remember correctly, uh, Reese Reese was definitely my creation. He's sort of the um, the the villain in the in my section, the first section. Uh, he definitely was my creation. He, I think he pops up at least in in dialogue later on in some of the other pieces, but um, he doesn't really stick around too much. Uh, but then also, um, actually, really, to, to be honest with you, it's probably really just Reese. I mean, and that really is the only carryover. There's certain elements like the idea of juice being sort of a, a drug. That was something that, um, that, that was brought over from Richard's story. He actually created that aspect of it. The whole idea of a have a commerce system based on favors. That was actually my idea. So I guess it's important that I take credit for that because that is that is sort of a large part of this overall narrative. Um, the title of, of the book, Soul Standard, was mine, if I can say that. So um, I think just the 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 idea of trading uh, of commerce um, using body parts for commerce was was mine and that I'm uh, pretty proud of, I think. Awesome. I like it. That Reese character, which Livius convinced me his name was Rice. Um, <laughs> Big, oh yeah, big it, it is rice. Book. It is rice. I like Livius better than you, so yes, rice. <laughs> oh, you yeah, listen, listen. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with Caleb mispronouncing someone's name. It's okay. It happens, right? I appreciate that, Livius. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Caleb, I guess the the big question we have, and we're going to ask you to think back roughly five years. I think, if I'm not mistaken, how did this come together? The idea for this, the project, the authors. How did this get? So you started the book. So tell us how the whole thing got started. <laughs> Uh, we had known each other for a while already, so we were familiar with each other's writing style. Mostly, I mentioned the Velvet earlier, um, mostly from the old Velvet forums, the writing forums that are sadly defunct. Uh, we'd known each other from, from that. We'd, we'd met each other a few times, a couple times, I guess, um, once in the case of Axel. Um, and so we, we were familiar with each other. We really liked each other. And, and I don't recall whose initial idea it was for us to come together. But I would est- I would guess that it was probably sort of an off the cuff comment in a forum in one of the Velvet forums somewhere, uh, and we kind of jumped on it and said, actually, let's let's think about it and let's actually do something like this. And it really did come about as early as that. That w- those were sort of the- that was the impetus and the kernels to the whole idea. Um, and at that time, uh, Pela, via good friend of the podcast, good friend to, to all of us, she was involved um, and sort of trying to manage a lot of that um, and really sort of keep things, I guess, cohesive and sort of be the overseer, the over uh, looking out over the entire project. Um, 
while she was still very much a part of the process and spirit, she sadly was not necessarily as involved uh, uh, later on down the line. And so uh, we took it upon ourselves and just really, ha- really ran with it. We sort of just, you know, went, went crazy with it. Um, and that, that's really all there is to it. I mean, I wish there was a, I wish there was a better story. I wish there was an orgy involved or something like that, which there's not yet, maybe a celebratory one later on, but you'll, you guys will be invited to, to record it. <laughs> I'm not sure if you said celebratory or celebratory, because that would be the worst orgy ever. That would be really missing the mark of celibacy. All of our uh, ball gags aren't assembled, and they're just kind of laying there. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, it's that's, that's probably maybe only going to make sense to Patreon <laughs> subscribers, because I think that the preamble to this yeah, podcast may true. end up over there. All the more reason to donate to Patreon to the lovely people it booked. Ah, oh, see, he's shilling for us. There's, mm-hmm. yes, he has I some redeeming qualities for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and you may be a little bit biased, especially because you called yourself a narcissist that goes back and reads his own writing. Um, but is there a story that uh, in this book that you like the most? Uh, the 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 politically correct answer would be to say, "Oh, they're all wonderful," and they are, of course. Uh, but honestly. Um, I I do I truly like them all for different reasons, but if I gun to my head, I really do truly enjoy the one that I wrote. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I do. It, it's I think I like it because I, I when I read it, I remember how much fun I had writing it. And there's so there's that connection to it that unfortunately other people that are reading it or even the other authors in the book won't necessarily have that connection. But I definitely do. And I and I'm back at a place where I just remember I, I'll read certain phrases and my story is very much sort of a a, a take on the old uh, witty uh, detective kind of trope, like 1920s noir. Um, it's definitely not a 1920s noir piece, but this guy is full of like one-liners and quips and stuff. Although he's he's not always successful at it, um, and that was just so much fun to write because I've never had I've never written anything that could take itself so not seriously that it would be able to allow for that type of language. So I, I think that's why I, I do like mine. But of course, I like the other people's. I wouldn't uh, put my name <laughs> on a on a cover of, of a book with them if I didn't. So, all right, we're going to drill down a little bit because I'm not satisfied with that answer. <laughs> Can you think of a moment or moments from stories that are not yours that are really standout moments? Uh, I can tell you that the fight scenes in uh, Nick's and Nick does really well with fight scenes. He's he he always has boxing specifically scenes. He always has done really really well with those. Um, so I can tell you that just any of his fighty scenes are going to be really great. Um, I also uh, there's an image. Uh, gosh, I wish I could think of the actual language that Axel uses, but there's an image in Axel's story where you where he really sort of crystallizes what his character. Um, his character is not able to recognize faces and he's looking for his daughter. And there's an image in there where he kind of crystallizes what it, what it's like to not be able to recognize faces when you so desperately want to. Um, God, I wish I could remember the language off the, the top of my head. The it's elbows? Really or was it, uh, yeah, yeah, it was the elbows. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. Um, and then uh, Richard uh, has some really good, his, his, his uh, story takes place in what's called the outskirts, and he has just a lot of really cool descriptions of just like the, the farmland, but at the same time, you're so used to um, in the first portion of the uh, first half of the book, you're so used to being in a city environment that when you sort of juxtapose that to use a fancy literary term, when you juxtapose that with um, with some of the more outskirts uh, 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 imagery, it's kind of an interesting I don't know, it's an interesting setup or an interesting situation. So there's definitely little pieces that I enjoy from everyone's stories. 
Um, Rob, you may have to clue me in if I missed anything, because all I've been able to think about was maybe the best segment we're ever going to have on Booked going forward, where we actually put a gun to someone's head and make them choose something. <laughs> Do you remember all the interviews we did where we're like, tell us this. So if you had to pick one person, they're like, oh, I have eight. I think there's a segment where and we're we actually, like, one of us shows yeah. up there with a gun. We send, we send Ryan, the marketing intern. We put him on a plane. And halfway through the interview, he breaks into the house with a gun. Uh, you know, Ryan now has a gun to your head. Well, you can't trust an intern with guns. I'm sorry. It's true. And also, we'd have to interview a bunch of people in China until, you know, the end of August or whatever. Oh, they're not allowed to have guns in China. All right. I'm going to go back to the drawing board. You guys keep talking about stuff. <laughs> Hey, I answered even without a gun to my head. Yeah, I know, All but right? this idea we'll have to call it like the we'll have to call it like the FCJR segment. I will say <laughs> I, I will say that is something that it totally annoys me. This is sort of a side topic, but things that totally annoy me about any interviews, not your guys' interviews by any means, but just any interviews in general, is they never press the people to actually answer a question legitimately and they let them get by with being too easy and, and sort of politically correct and, and even keel and it annoys the poo out of me and i don't know why people don't do it um maybe because they're trying to be nice people and they want that person to come back and be interviewed again i don't know i think that's to to uh, to follow this digression i think a big part of it is either um they're just they don't have the 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 balls to to press someone on a topic or they're just not good at interviewing people like i've listened to slash read so many interviews that were just such boilerplate you know bullshit nonsense that was Rob's that angry. My, I'm throwing things around the room now. Bullshit interviews. I'm done with this crap. Um, it's a really boring thing that just fell off my desk. So uh, it's the charger for my Apple Watch. Anyway, uh, uh, that's what you disguise your ball gag as. Yeah, that's very clever. yeah, very. Clever. Um, but anyway, yeah, people are either just bad interviewers or just too timid to push someone on a topic, or they just formulate a question in a way that puts too much on the on the interviewee. Like, you have to target your question to get the answer that you're looking for, right? So I think people just suck at interviewing, mostly. Probably a lot of it, too, has to do with not knowing the source material well enough, you know? Like, you just are basically people who do interviews professionally. Hopefully, they have the time to be able to do research, but sometimes maybe they don't. And they just say, "What? tell me, what what is Ratatouille about? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or your book took place in, in like, a place that's totally not part of the book at all, like (laughs) that type of thing. Where do you get your yeah. ideas? Yeah, like, oh. Yeah. oh, let's not go. Let's not go down that road. Um, <laughs> all right, so, now he's picky about the roads. So, um, Caleb, mm-hmm. assuming there was a, a, a gun wielding intern in your in your room right now with you, we have to ask this question, and this could be a touchy subject. Mm-hmm. Did the FCJR book end your writing career? And if so, do you blame us specifically for it? That's a very good question. Uh, first of all, career is a very generous term. Thank you, though. Um, secondly, uh, wow. I would say that it played a role in it, but not in the depressing, sad way you might think. So allow me to, though I think I've told you both off off mic uh, about this. Um, I will say I, I do want to make sure everyone knows about it. So uh, I was I was writing fine with writing having fun writing and then one day livius and 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 rob and, and a bunch of people show up at at a restaurant with a book uh called fcjr which i know you guys talked about so i'm just reminding people who are maybe new to the podcast um with a book that's full of basically stories that are um in which i am somehow 
a character that is not treated very well, but in a very fun, joking way. <laughs> and it, it's also it's also the the culmination of a very long, uh, long uh, history of of the FCJR hashtag, which is of course fuck Caleb J Ross. And um, and so it was a lot of fun. We're having fun with it. And then all of a sudden you guys surprised me. And there's this book that you guys have actually written stories about. And the reason why I think that did play a role in me not writing anymore um, is not because I was so hurt and offended. In fact, actually quite the opposite. <laughs> um, I took it as it was honestly and this is not joking at all. It was it was an extremely touching gesture. And I know for you guys, it was probably just a fun. Let's have fun with it. Let's let's do something funny. Uh, but for me, it was just knowing that people I know how long it takes to write a story, you know, and I know I know how complicated it can be to get a book bound. You know, even when you go to your, your print on demand type places, it's still a process. It still takes time out of your day. And knowing that there was a whole group of friends that took that much time out of their life to do something like this, it was really kind of touching. And it was like in that moment, I kind of I, I kind of felt vindicated in a way that I had been striving to be vindicated with writing for years and years and years and never really felt vindicated. Uh, you know, I, I write something, I'll get some reviews on Amazon. That's great. I'll write something. I'll get people in Facebook saying, oh, this is a really great story. This did great things. I, you know, I'll get longer write ups. I'll get you guys doing reviews of books and everything. And that's all well and good. But when that happened, I kind of I realized that I, I guess a void was finally filled that I never really knew was a void to begin with. I, I will say, though, that I think I was already down the path of probably uh, uh, giving up writing eventually. I just feel like that was a capstone where it's like now I don't feel bad about giving up writing because I did impact people and, and I made some friends and it really kind of it meant a lot to me. So hopefully you don't feel bad for my career, <laughs> uh, so to speak, ending um, because it was actually an awesome thing. And so I, I publicly thank you, of course. And, and it was it was it was good for me. Awesome. It was just so. I mean, it, it's a loving tribute. That's what it is. There's no other way to you know you know describe it. Um, but like when when you received it and you were enjoying it in the restaurant, and then you were like, "Well, if I never write again, this is like a great way to go out." And I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the idea." So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I I am now able to dedicate my time to a lot of other endeavors uh, that are still very creative in nature and things like that. And this isn't me trying to make a segue to be talking about not writing stuff. I'm definitely here to talk about the book, but I, I'm still, you know, trying to be creative and try to have fun with that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, writing's just not, I, I don't need it anymore, you know? Well, I mean, if you feel like you filled that, uh, if you feel like you filled that um, part of your life where you had the, you got the experience you wanted out of it, there's something to be said for that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you say that in a way that is almost like a disappointed uh, mother, like oh, if that's <laughs> if that's what you wanted out of it, sure. I mean, I guess to a degree, like you know. All right, so here's the thing. Like I said, it's a loving tribute. Um, we wouldn't do that for we would. No one would spend that time doing that for someone that we didn't you know value um, for their contribution. And then you um, after that change kind of where what your position is in the whole kind of group by deciding not to write anymore. And it's like oh. <laughs> That's true. So, I guess I never really thought about it. That's true. <laughs> in a self, in a selfish way, um, there is disappointment because <laughs> you know I like your books, I like your writing, and so I want more of it. And you know, if I'm speaking completely selfishly, so um, there, yeah, I will be a little bit like the mother because <laughs> uh, you know. But at the same time, happy for you. Oh, well, that's very very sweet. I wish you, <laughs> I wish you were my mom because it would be, it would be nice. For Wants to instead come out of your body instead of going in. 
Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I can't, I can't <laughs> let, I can't, I can't let a moment be touching for too long. That's, That's just, yeah. You had to, yeah. You had to get bodily about it. Um, <laughs> and let's not forget. Big thanks to Misty Bennett, a good friend of the podcast, who actually created that hashtag and countless, countless hours of entertainment for, for most of us, at least. I'm not sure if it was that entertaining for Caleb, but uh, at least for the rest of us. Hey, thanks, Misty. Yeah. I actually have, thinking about it now, um, in the course of this nonstop like, harassment of Caleb with this hashtag, it's been like little prank after little prank. So uh, it, going back to the origin of the book idea was Livius just had the idea, I think, one day to put an FCJR book cover on a non on a normal whatever kind of book and then, you know, pretend that we had an actual book made. Um, and then <laughs> I had the idea, let's actually make the book. So in Boston... I had we had the the fake book with the, just the cover on it, and um, there's a video of Caleb pretending to read stuff out of it and stuff like that. So there's some there's and the reaction when we gave Caleb the actual FCGR book. I have that from Seattle. So those videos might make their way, I don't know, to public consumption on like the Book to YouTube channel or something like that. Hopefully, I'm, my 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 graciousness is audible. I remember. I think the only thing I remember from that video is you saying. Uh, you gotta say something, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to prompt you uh, because you were just like laughing and looking at the book, and and we were all like, it, it, we had spent a, a good amount of time—not a good amount, but we had spent enough time creating it that we were waiting for some sort of reaction. And Caleb's just like <laughs> smiling and looking at it, and we're all at the t- like sitting around the table, like, Are you gonna fucking say something about this? <laughs> That was the look of someone realizing that the last decade of their life is now going down the toilet because they're no longer going to to write. So that was mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> so are, are we are we for sure done then, Caleb? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. I'm still I'm still uh, uh, doing things creatively. Still still writing things, but not fiction. Um, so I'm, I'm still out there, still doing stuff. I, I, but yeah, writing fiction, long form fiction, short form, whatever it is, is, is probably done. Closed chapter in my life. So that's, um, not to say again, as you kind of mentioned, you are still a content creator. Um, you have a podcast that we mentioned at the top of the episode for people who may not have heard it, the important question podcast. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, it's just a quick 15-minute episodes, 15, 20-minute episodes of me, myself, and Gordon Hyland, um, another friend of the podcast I know. And we just kind of chat for 15, 20 minutes. It's one of those things that if we were already famous, then people would love it. But you can't get famous if you don't have good personalities to begin with. And and so we just kind of – it's just two guys basically having uh, zero personality. Uh, chatting uh, and and trying to be funny at the same time. I am downplaying a little bit, but um, it, we're trying to be funny with it. We ask questions every podcast, um, it, sarcastically important ones. Uh, we've we've asked questions like, um, you know, uh, uh, would you eat a cor- eat a corpse? So like, basically, would you be a cannibal? Um, would you help a friend commit suicide? Um, they range from the absurd to the actual like sort of things that you really might want to question but not end up taking our advice in any way shape or form so also stick around to the end of every episode because we always have a sponsor and that's my personal favorite part part of the episode so a <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of thoughts about important question first of all i have to just give you credit because um 
one of two things. Either you do tons of research and preparation for giving your answer to the question, or you make it sound like you did tons of research. <laughs> because, like, you have, you like, you guys, if it was the Eat a Corpse one, you back it up with, like, in this country, blah, blah, blah. Or, like, in, you know, in historically, this is, so, like, it seems like you, at the very least, take the question seriously and dedicate some time to it. Uh, well, we, I appreciate that it comes off that way because we do some research at the beginning, <laughs> but it's really sort of Wikipedia-level research, and then yeah. the rest of it's sort of riffing. So, um, But I'm glad it sounds that way. Cool. And then I have to mention that, um, uh, I don't know if you know this, Caleb, but Livius and I have both appeared on your podcast. I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I, I don't think it is. It, it we, is true. We have. So uh, when uh, Gordon was in Minneapolis for AWP 14, no, 2015, he had a recorder and he recorded, he asked a bunch of people questions and then played it on one of your episodes. That's right. Yep, yeah. it, would be, it was the, um, would you rather be... Um, Oh, fam- what famous or, or smart? Yeah, it was. Uh, you you had to choose if you could. Uh, I think it was your looks or your like. If you could, if you had to lose one thing, would it be your looks or your your intelligence or something like that? Yep. And Livius and I had almost to the fucking word the exact same answer, <laughs> completely independently of each other. Like yep. it was like we both invented calculus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yep. Yep. independent of each other. Yeah. That's awesome. That's I do remember crazy. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, um you are also still a content creator on a YouTube channel that's god, it's it's really kind of an eclectic collection of things <laughs> like like it was like some book reviews and there's some book and then the, the most recent one, video games mm-hmm. and easter eggs in video games, which I think is really cool cuz you know, I played Adventure when it first came out. That's how really? old. I, yeah, I had an Atari <laughs> I owned Adventure probably within weeks of its release back on the Atari 2600. So talk about catching my attention with a with a title that definitely uh, definitely did it. So video games, man, let's talk about this. This, yeah. is, this is the new big thing for you, right? This is what you do with your life when you're not sleeping. Pretty much, yeah. It, it's been it's been part of my life forever, uh, as I think most kids my age. Um, uh, so so I'm not unique or special in that respect, but. I tend to intellectualize things to a to an absurd degree. Um, I mentioned earlier about how I, I when I was writing fiction, I, I wrote literary fiction because that's kind of where my brain went. Same thing with video games. I've always thought of them in sort of a – I try to be sort of intellectualize them a little bit. Um, and historically, yeah, my videos on my channel have always been book-related and that was really – that really it was a convergence of just my life as a writer and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I stopped writing, that faded away, and then we started doing some some podcast videos and things like that. It was kind of fun. Yeah, and the latest wave is is video game stuff, and it's really given me an opportunity to go back and play some of these old video games that I haven't played in a long time. Um, I'm I'm getting just back into video games in a way that – and I'm getting excited about them in a, in a way that I just hadn't been in the past. And I've been watching – like, oh God, I'm, I'm such a, a – just a nerdy person. So um, I literally on my desk right now next to me – um, as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to finish up a book called Koji Kondo Super Mario Brothers Soundtrack. And it's an entire book about the Super Mario Brothers soundtrack and its implications and culture and things like that. And that's just for fun. So that's how much of a nerd I am. And so I'm really glad that I'm able to – I'm getting back into this whole thing. And I've, I've, I've always absorbed video game 
uh, uh, culture and I've always been watching video game YouTube channels. It's, it's I spend most of my time watching YouTube channels. I watch very little TV, so most of my media consumption is YouTube. And um, so now I'm kind of becoming a part of that community in a, in a way that's uh, it's, it's fun. It feels weird though, because I'm 33 and I still have this mentality that video games are for kids, but that's not true. It's just hard to get over that hump, you know, but yeah, I'm having fun with it. I tuned out for the video game conversation. <laughs> so I just want to let you know, like I've been surfing the internet. I was updating some software. <clears throat> video games, not my thing. Proud of you well, though. I- Happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't try to get you into them. That's not my job, but uh, you're a ter- terrible person and you should be burned at the stake. If you happen to notice that your YouTube channel was getting one less viewer on all your videos. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've noticed substantially more than one less viewer on those videos. As soon as I started releasing video game content, my subscribers went down by like 20%. I, I think people were just like, oh, I don't... I, <laughs> they forgot that I existed because I hadn't made videos in a while, and then I started making them, and they realized this isn't about books at all. So it happens. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna go one step nerdier because um, I had an idea while you were talking about. It. I know you said you just start playing video games again. Um, any thoughts on a Twitch channel? I, I you've I, definitely got the personality for it. <laughs> I think that you could you know you could I've carry thought it. about it. Um, I thought about it. I think the problem with that though is that I don't have the time that would necessarily. That would be necessary mm-hmm. for that. So, you know, and, and I think also that's very event based. So you kind of have to be there at a certain time each night because it's a lot of live streaming. It doesn't have yeah. to be, but mostly it is. And I just don't know that I have the the schedule that would allow for that. Um, I have been doing uh, actually starting this Sunday. I'm going to start doing a segment called Resurrection Sunday. And it's a, where I play a game that I remember fondly from my childhood and 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 play about 10, 20 minutes of it and, and decide if my childhood was correct or if my childhood's an entire lie. Um, and I've been doing, I've been recording a couple of those and those are probably as close as I would get to sort of playing and commenting live um, as I'm playing. So, um, but yeah, it's fun. That's, um, that's interesting. I like that concept. Now, if you were 10 years older, I'd probably have a little more interest in, in seeing <laughs> where you're like, you know, Pong and, you know, um, Pitfall and, you know, games like that. But I'm thinking did, you grew up on like maybe PlayStation 1? Uh, no, I was NES. So okay. uh, NES all the way um, and then Super Nintendo and then, yeah, PlayStation uh, later on. So, yep. Rob, Rob, wake up. Yeah, Rob, I'm here. Wake up. No, yeah, no. You, gotta, you gotta figure out some way to close this out now. So. Um, I was well. I just wanted to put a little interesting factoid about me. The only video game console that I've ever owned was the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, I did, however, own a Game Boy Color, which that has passed, to kind of like passes. count, right? That, that counts. That counts. That counts so. for sure. The game, the Game Boy, is a very, very reputable, uh, important yeah. piece of gaming technology. I think yeah. you're fine with that. Rob or, has Rob has an iPhone. That technically is a game console these days, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're trying to turn me into a gamer. I play that just... SimCity Build It. I do that. <laughs> Can I do a Twitch channel about me playing SimCity Build It? You absolutely could. Yeah. You, will have, you will have one less viewer than Caleb. That's, that's the problem. That viewer will be me. If you're not part of the video game world, you would probably be blown away by how much video game content there is like on youtube on twitch and how many games people like there are literally like i would say hundreds of channels dedicated just to minecraft 
and their video <laughs> and videos are released every single day and they're hours long and people make crazy money doing it. A lot of people make no money doing it, but it's so weird of a concept to think about. And for me, I actually embrace the fact that I, I, I didn't play video games for probably uh, about a year ago. I I ended about a 10 year or so hiatus from video games, not intentionally, but I was writing instead and I just didn't have time. I jumped back into it and so much has changed in 10 years that I have this, uh, I, I can approach it in a very similar way to Rob that you would probably be approaching it uh, is, is that so much has changed and I have no idea kind of what, where to start or what's going on or anything. It's, <laughs> it's kind of fun. But like with for me, it would be the added. I don't want to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is stupid. You just I, I, actually have you ever seen? You might actually appreciate this. Uh, uh, Conan O'Brien. I don't know if you watch his show at all, but he has a a series called The Clueless Gamer. And Conan O'Brien is very much like you. He doesn't care about video games. He's not good at them. He just has no interest. But for some reason, publishers basically pay him to play video games <laughs> and, and rate them. And of course, he's sitting with a guy who's very interested in video games, and then Conan is just talking about how stupid this is the whole time. <laughs> and it's a, it's actually pretty enjoyable. You may get some catharsis out of it. Uh, here's one thing I will say about video games: that um, this is this is the respect I have to give to them because I I sat down and had lunch with uh, two people uh, one time who both were just really in you know passionate about video games and. The way they talked, I'm just watching this conversation because obviously I don't even qualify really to be at the table. Um, I'm watching this conversation unfold about video games and I'm thinking they're talking about these the exact same way I talk about books. Like there's <laughs> no difference. And so I kind of saw them as like an evolution of storytelling a little bit. Um, so I can kind of appreciate why people would get into them, but not for me. Okay very much so hey i respect it i respect you know it. oddly that's the thing that drives me craziest about video games and i consume <laughs> a ton of, of fiction and and i rob knows me more than listeners do how exactly how many tv shows i watch that i'm super into um video games man i just want to play i don't want five minute cutscenes. i don't care about the story put the gun <laughs> in my hand give me the spell to cast or whatever and let me go do my thing so oddly enough that evolution of storytelling that portion of me for me is just Completely unnecessary. I think in the same way that um, that indie independent publishing is allowing a lot of unknown voices, you know, like the whole bizarro fiction movement, for example, you know, mm -hmm. people, those are books that publishers wouldn't touch, but now they're becoming their own thing because people have the resources to be able to, to write them and, and they can find their audiences on their own. And the same way, Livius, to, to kind of your point is that there's, um, there's a whole culture of independent game developers now. I mean, uh, Unity, which is a, a game development engine that is, you know, AAA big budget games are made on Unity, but also it's free and people who have barely any skill at all can download it and make games. So there's this whole resurgence of games that have really no story and people don't necessarily want the story just like you, Livius. They, they just want to sit down and play. So those games definitely exist. They're definitely out there. Um, I, and, and I, you know, maybe worth digging into those, I guess, at some point. But, yeah, they're, they're definitely out there. I will definitely keep that in mind. Cool. Livius just wants his flappy bird. <laughs> yeah, flappy bird, FTW. <laughs> Caleb, anything else you want to mention before we uh, let you get back to reading your weird book about <laughs> Mario Brothers soundtrack? Uh, no, the, the less I say now, the quicker I can get back to that book. But I, I do appreciate you guys uh, having me on and talking about this this uh, four-parent book uh, that's, that's, that's out. And, uh, and, yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have to invite you back on to review a book with us sometime or something because that's probably going to be the only way we get you back, right? 
Oh, well, I have this uh, really good book called uh, Koji Kondo Super Mario Brothers Soundtrack. <laughs> if you like, guys want to want to give it a read, we can definitely talk about it. If there's ever an NBA 2K17 book, <laughs> we're going to be all over it. Uh, I also have a biography of Shigeru Miyamoto right here on my desk and also a copy of Console Wars. So uh, either one of those three, I'm totally fine with it. Go ahead and pick one, and uh, and I expect to be invited back very soon. I'm going to insert the cricket noise. <laughs> All right, Caleb, thanks so much for joining us and talking about, uh, uh, what was it called? Four Corners? Oh, no, Soul Standard. That's the actual name of the book. Um, Great to have you on again. I appreciate it. Great to be on again. All right. Always nice to have Caleb on our podcast, though. Now I'm not sure exactly how often that's going to happen. We'll have to have him as a guest, uh, guest reviewer or something. But again, yeah, great to have Caleb on. Love that guy. Um, he fits. He here's here's the whole thing. So I'm completely going off script here. But I was I was talking to someone and I had said, you know, there are guests that I love to have on. But Caleb fits really well. And I actually said, and Rob, feel free to edit this out if you need to. I said, you know, if we ever picked a third host, Caleb is one of the best fits for this podcast. Does that's, he edit, not, that's not an offer. Does he all, does he edit <laughs> audio? Because if he edits audio, <laughs> He's he in. is on, he is in. All right, sight unseen. So hey, we talked, and and I don't know because we're not recording these on the same night. So I don't remember when we talked about this. We we poked a little fun in another podcast for having double episodes for one. Yeah. Not only are we not <laughs> having uh, two separate one-hour episodes for one guest, we are having two guests in one goddamn episode. That's right. That is right. That is the secret to our success or something like that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're going to have Nick Corpon on, uh, and we're going to talk to him in momentarily, but um, really quick, we can do a quick bio for him, right? Yes, uh, that's that would probably be the right thing to do. And I just, I'm excited. I'm going to take this one because I love how quick it is. I mean, we did the the nice, you know, you know was a was. A contributor to the book anthology when we reviewed the book. Right. Here's something a little bit more maybe written by Nick. <clears throat> Nick Corpon is the author of The Rebellion's Last Traitor, Stay God, Sweet Angel, and Bar Scars Stories, among others. He lives in Baltimore. Nick, welcome welcome back to, to Booked. It's been, I think, like 48 hours now, roughly. It has been a while. <laughs> it's going to be one of those, uh, like... Lost to the ages, kind of. We can just. Here's the thing. So we lost the original recording of Nick's um, interview that we did just a couple days ago. Did you check behind the dresser? I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I did look behind my dresser. But here's the thing. Now we can say that we could. We could say we talked about anything in that like hour that we talked. You know, we can just make references to whatever we want. No one will ever know if we're lying or not. I did give the the rare compliment to Caleb J. Ross, so mm-hmm. it's now lost to the ages. Lost to the ages. Lost to. I'm going to go ahead and just assume this was a cyber crime. Now, Rob, why would you assume that it was a cyber crime? Because I am so meticulous with my processes that there's no way that I did anything wrong. Um, so it has to be a malicious. I'm guessing Chinese hackers. <laughs> Oh, let's tone back the racism, okay, and the stereotyping. <laughs> not on this podcast, my my friend. It's, not on this podcast. But if you all right, here I'm going to make this is the racist, not you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would for like once, to apologize. Yeah. I would like to apologize for Rob. <laughs> no, but I'll make the connection for you. Um, the we've done this for five years, right? Never had any kind of issue where we lost a recording. 
Then our marketing intern goes to China. Suddenly, we lose a recording. Is this just because you've been watching way too many episodes of Criminal Minds? Is that maybe <laughs> why you're thinking of going down this path? <laughs> I mean, well, no. No, I'm 100% sure that it was cybercrime. Chinese hackers. Right. Nick, <laughs> well, thank you, first of all, for coming back to do this again, which I would have been like, man, I gave you guys like 90 minutes of my time the other night um, <laughs> and would not have come back. So uh, I want to tell you we, we appreciate it. Not a problem. It's good to talk to you all again. <clears throat> so um, if at any point during this interview, and I'm talking to the listeners right now, it seems like we're talking about stuff that we didn't talk about, it's because we talked about it. We don't know if you heard us talk about it. We might get confused a little bit, but we're going to try and, you know, we're going to try and make it as smooth as possible. So usually when we have an author on and it happens after we've reviewed something of theirs, we start out our interview by talking about the story that they wrote that we reviewed. So, Nick, if you don't mind, um, could you tell us a little bit about your story from the Soul Standard, just kind of from your perspective, what what it is? Sure. Um, my story is Punos Sagrados, which um, is Portuguese for holy fists or sacred fists. <clears throat> and it is, um, it's about a broke-down boxer who is trying to win a citywide uh, boxing tournament. Uh, to and he wants to use the money to get his um, his manic wife Mona uh, treatment for her for her condition, and um, he boxes and or trains in boxes at night and during the day and evening he works at the Gurney, which is a gambling parlor in the red light district, and there he meets a torch singer and organ thief called Carissa, and uh, they hit it off and it kind of all goes downhill from there clarify for anybody who hasn't read it because i don't know if we actually got into the organ thievery she does not steal pianos these, no, are, she does these not. are yeah these are human organs well it's not that we know of yeah you said organ thief and i was picturing her like trying to stick a piano like under her coat and like walk out of a place <laughs> looking really awkward and that's that's not that's not how it works in the story at all hey well it, that could happen i have a friend once that stole a canoe from kmart so um Way back when Kbart used to sell canoes, so you can steal big things. You can be a thief of those things. Way back when people used to go to Kmart. That's what I'm saying. So Nick, there is a um, there's a lot of violence in your story via the fights and the organ theft and stuff, and um, there's also a ton of emotion that took place between your protagonist and his wife, um, which I loved. By the way, if I had not expressed that enough on on our review, um, one of my favorite parts of the book was uh, his struggle with his wife. Which one of those? worlds do you either feel more comfortable writing in or which one did you like better is is did you have one that kind of stood out over the other the violence versus <clears throat> the emotion um i don't know i mean they were they were both different um there's it's it's not quite a, a love triangle but um marcel the boxer you know is drawn toward um carissa because she's very active obviously because she's you know up and around and um, she works at the club and, um, she gets out a lot. Um, whereas his wife can't really leave the house, but, um, she's always active and on the move and is very alluring because she's very, uh, vivacious, I guess. And, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know what the word is, not spunky, but you know, she puts people in her place. Um, so it was fun to, to write those scenes because it was seeing a different side of Marcel but it's also sort of like a 
I don't know, it makes you feel a little bit guilty because you know that his wife is at home and she's suffering from this condition. Um, and then writing those scenes felt very um, sort of uncomfortable because you know that you know that he loves his wife very much and his wife loves him, but she's just suffering from this condition. Um, it's sort of like a, I guess it's not really a spoiler. It's sort of like a PTSD thing from uh, she was attacked when she was pregnant. And because of the attack, she had a miscarriage and, you know, it kind of spiraled, her mania spiraled out from there. Um, so she's obsessed with keeping everything really clean, you know, like to a, uh, to the detriment of her own health. So it's, it, it was a weird tension between, um, between writing those two sides. You said something kind of interesting, and, and I don't know if you meant it that way or if you meant it in the, in the thing of the story. You said it makes you feel guilty. Did you, as the creator, feel guilty doing these things to his wife? I mean, through through you know through Marcel kind of uh, falling for for this for this other woman. Did you do you feel guilty as a writer doing that? Um, a little bit. I mean, I, I felt you know I felt bad for Mona, and I also felt bad for Marcel because he's just you know he's not purposely doing anything to to hurt Mona or anything like that. He's just kind of. I guess like caught in the moment or, you know, like following his instincts or his passions or whatever the word is. Um, but you know that while he's doing that, his wife is still at home and she's suffering. And, you know, so it's, it was a, it was a weird, it was a weird time writing it. So here's an interesting take, um, from the, the reader's perspective. When I was looking at, um, uh, how he was trying to, I guess you could say, take care of, um, uh, what's it's Clarissa, Carissa, Carissa. Sorry about yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Trying to do something good to kind of make her quality of life better versus he's kind of in a constant struggle to, to make things better for his wife. I always felt like he saw Carissa as being like the, how am I trying to say this? So, his wife is like a long-term goal of trying to like get to some sort of win. Whereas like if he helps her get out of this, you know, shitty situation she's in the Carissa, like that's an easy win. Right. So yeah. for me, it wasn't necessarily as much romantic as it was like, he can finally feel the satisfaction of making someone's life better <clears throat> in a short term as, instead of like how long it's taking him with a wife. So, um, that was, that was kind of the way I took it, which was, it's interesting to hear you say, the guilt and everything like that. Cause I didn't take it as much of a romantic thing as I did just like, this is a way for him to finally have a win. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, he does, he wants to help both of them. Um, and I think that it's not a, I don't think it's really that much of a spoiler. It's not like a, like he's cheating on his wife or anything. Or like there's a love triangle, but he is drawn to her in a way that's, I don't know, maybe like not quite kosher, I guess. Um, especially given his, what his wife is going through. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, I think he feels a little bad about that, or I felt a little bad about it. Um, but he is also just honestly trying to help her because he's not, I mean, he beats the dog shit out of people every night, but he's not a bad person. You know, he's right. just yep. a normal person stuck in a bad situation. Yeah, he tries to unbreak people. Yeah, kind exactly. of. I guess in contrast to his punching the shit out of people. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like that that kind of uh, oscillation between opposites where, you know, he spends, he spends his nights destructing people, 
and then he spends his day earning money so that he can try and put people back together. Yeah. In the same way that Mona, um, her mania manifests as um, like obsessive cleaning. You know, she polishes everything and constantly cleans everything and like scrubs her hands until they bleed and stuff because of the because of her attack and you know like the there's some description of like fluids going over the sidewalk or something so it's kind of she runs the opposite direction yeah it's absolutely work it absolutely works good <laughs> heart heartbreaking stuff there um so i'm gonna i'm gonna ref- i'm gonna phrase this a little differently i think than i did the first time we we see the kind of true conclusion to to one of your story arcs, uh, a big story arc in Richard's story, which follows yours. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that a little weird for you to have someone else kind of, I don't know, put the, like the, the big, the end uh, on your story? It was kind of strange. Excuse me. Um, Because I, I had written the character. I had written Marcel to, or like their, their storyline to the precipice and it, I knew what the ending was like that Vonnegut saying um, was it like, put it on the page and uh, your story should be written so that if cockroaches eat the last two pages, the reader still knows what's going to happen. You know, like there's just the sense of inevitability through it. Um, so I knew what was going to happen, but I had grown attached to the characters and I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to see it happen. So, you know, I wrote them right up to the point where I think it's obvious what's, what's going to happen without having to see it. And then kind of seeing the aftermath in Richard's story was a little jarring, you know, and kind of, kind of shocking, but but it it felt right, you know? Oh, I agree. I I don't think there was anything wrong with it, but it occurred to me when I was reading it, um, you know, they're your babies, right? So I asked you if you like felt guilty doing these things to Mona. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So then having kind of somebody else, I'm not saying step on your toes or, or, or anything like that. I'm sure you guys all kind of, you know, you know, worked everything out. And I'm sure if you had a problem with it, it probably would have been changed. It wouldn't have taken much and it wouldn't have really taken anything away from Richard's story to get rid of it. I would just imagine that like these are people you created, you gave them life, you, you ended the story. But then just for, you know, as you're like reading through a final revision or whatever, being like, shit there's my people stuff happened to him like you know yeah and it it seemed the way that he handled it was just you know he's a very uh vivid writer and it was just it was man it was it was tough to read and it was the first the first time that i read his story that wasn't i don't think that that was in the um in his story because the order of the um of the stories was different i i can't i think his was last um, and I think Axel's followed mine up. So, um, once we reordered the stories and then, you know, he continued the end of my story into his, it was, uh, you know, it was, like I said, it was jarring to read it. I gotta say that from the, I'm going to, I guess I'm advocating for the reader side of things tonight, but, um, and I don't know if this is, um, just because we read and review books. So we think more about, um, these types of things, but when I was reading it, Anytime I saw one author, when I was reading Soul Standard, I'm, I'm sorry, I should say, when I was reading the whole book, the Soul Standard, anytime one author did something with another author's character, it was a bit jarring for me as well. Because um, I don't think you expect that type of thing. I don't think you expect for, even if they're kind of interwoven stories, I don't think, I mean, you, I would expect cameos and stuff like that, but for 
something so final to happen to one of the characters, I don't think you really expect. So it was a little bit jarring as well, but I think it was a good thing. I think it, it contributed to the overall impact of the stories together. Yeah, I don't I don't think that this kind of thing, like the the book that we did, I don't think it happens that often, or at least I haven't really read anything like it. Um, they're, you know, show, shared world anthologies and stuff, but um, I guess maybe it, it also came from uh, the four of us knowing each other for a while and having read each other's books for a long time. So it just, I maybe came a little bit more naturally and we, we knew what each other would do with their characters or whatever. Sure. I bet you it happens all the time in sci-fi and fantasy, but I never read that stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, the huggos are coming up soon. Was, so, uh, <laughs> wait, the, I thought they were just finished. Oh, I have no idea. Uh, yeah. The huggos. Bear awards. <laughs> I, I think, I think when the huggo awards come up, we should have one whole episode dedicated to, to the huggos. <laughs> just so that you can like, verbally abuse science fiction and fantasy no 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 i'm gonna do a little bit of research we'll have no no i've got this covered we're good we're good come hug <laughs> award month whatever that is oh no i'm terrified hey nick this might be a good time since we've kind of started talking about it how were overall the crossovers handled i, I mean you know as Ro- as rob had mentioned um, you know there were multiple characters that appeared even if just in mention in different stories so what was the process like to to have it all mesh together that way. Uh, well, we first we kind of like planned out the the city and who was going to write in which season and which um, which neighborhood, um, and then the seasons changed. Like I said, um, and we I think we kind of like pitched the general idea of our stories to each other, or at least said, you know, this is what I'm going to write about, um, just so that we weren't writing the same thing. Um, and then once we, let me see, we wrote this like five years ago. So some of the details are kind of blurry and I've written, I think like four hey, whoa, or five years since well, we were, we were ready to review it five years ago. It's not, <laughs> listen, it's not our fault. It's not like we're just bringing you on to talk about something that we were late on. We were ready to publish it five years ago, but it just never happened. <laughs> um, so after we had written our stories, um, we either sent them around and then kind of pitched ideas for crossovers or I know Richard said at one point, um, a, a comment plays in into his story in a, in a large way. Um, so he said to Caleb and I, if we could have, um, a character seeing comets go through. So it kind of, uh, tied into that. Um, and then Caleb's, uh, Caleb's characters talk about, um, a bakery that has the best conches in the city. I forget what the name of the bakery is. Um, but to sort of place it a little bit more, um, Marcel and Carissa talk about going to get conches at, oh, Warner's, Warner's Bakery, um, you know, because they're the best in the city. And um, so it was, it was more like smaller textual things just to, to weave the world together a little bit more cohesively. Um, and it, for the most part, it was, it was fine and it wasn't a problem though. It was interesting because sometimes, or at least one time in particular, things went awry. Um, we hadn't read the, the whole story together in a while. And as we were reading the arcs, um, Axel's character shows up in, uh, Richard's story and Axel's character is searching for his missing daughter and Richard's character 
says or says something about it or he he sees him and like he has some internal dialogue about axel's character but the way that she's described um he's he says something about like seeing her at a at a party or like there was some inference that like she was a prostitute or something or she'd been sold into prostitutions sold into prostitution but we forgot we didn't really do the math when we were reading it and she would have been like eight years old and sold into prostitution and it was just we we write some dark stuff but that's just unconscionable (laughs) so we had (laughs) that's in one of the arcs and then we cut it out so it's not going to be in the final book that um i think it's in the arc that we got yeah yeah so and i was like oh my god i can't believe we'd miss that (laughs) (laughs) so that didn't make it to the final cut because that did seem a little bit inconsistent um but yeah yeah there were you know reading it in printed form there were so many things that we hadn't caught even though we'd been over it you know seven eight nine times and guy had edited the hell out of it as well oh and like we we wrote essays about this um that uh is going up as like one long we each wrote individual things about writing the or co-writing the book um it's going to go up as one long essay somewhere but richard mentioned another one that um he had originally oh he knew that he was going to run into axel's axel's character but he uh he made him really skinny he said it was like hugging a bundle of sticks or a bundle of sticks or something like that when actually Axel's character is kind of chubby. Um, so he, you know, went back and fixed it, but it's just weird things that you don't catch, you know, until you read the entire thing together. Richard was just referring to a very big bundle of sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Biggest, biggest, biggest bundle of sticks I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I guess that kind of goes into what we talked about before is, um, you create your characters and, and even, you know, so again, something we should probably talk to Richard about, but I guess what it comes down to is in his mind, he has a picture of what that character looks like. So mm-hmm. in some ways it becomes his character because he introduces a scene. This isn't like, you know, like, Hey, you know, we're describing Rob and our descriptions should be pretty close. We're describing something we see in our heads. So to Richard, somebody who loses their daughter and is out looking for them, you know, has wasted away to nothing, which makes perfect sense to me. And that's, you know, if I didn't have a description, I would picture the guy like not eating a lot or not eating healthy or, you know what I mean? So I guess I kind of get it. But it all goes back to they're all they're all our babies. Right. And like if it's in my story, you know, I see it the way I see it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You make that guy fat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we, we put Caleb on the spot for this, and I think we're going to put you on the spot for this as well. And it's not fair, but you know what? We we I think we gave up being fair to people a long time ago. <laughs> um, of of all four stories that appear in the book, do you have a favorite? Mine, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, not that's not our favorite story. So <laughs> let's talk. Let's, let's. I'm just kidding. We're not going to fight John or anything. <laughs> Don't worry, it's no one's favorite. It's okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you guys. Axel's, Ax, I, I like all the stories in the book. Um, I really enjoy them, and I'm you know proud to be included in it. But uh, Axel has just killed me. And especially um, rereading it, when I reread the arc, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, I had forgotten a lot of the details. Um and I knew the the main story that he's, you know, the uh, Jules is looking for his daughter. And, uh, you know, that's sad. I've, I've got 
two little kids and my son is about the same age that, um, that Axel's or that the, what's her name? Matilda, I think, um, that she was. Mm -hmm. So I could, I could really identify with that, you know, fear. Um, but then when it gets to a certain point in the story, the, they make a discovery and the scope of the story widens, you know, like a thousand percent. And it's just all that terror that is very personal and localized just becomes overwhelming, I guess. And it really, it really hit me. And then especially with that ending too, you know, after all these horrible things that have been happening, it just, it killed me. I didn't cry though. Are you sure? Are you sure you didn't cry? <laughs> I did not cry like a bitch. Like a bitch. <laughs> That's exactly how I cried. But I think we've established I'm kind of the crier of the group here, of the of the podcast. The designated crier. It's all right. Before I had kids, I rarely ever cried. And after having kids, I don't I don't cry very often, but I'll see like any commercial that has to do with the father and the son, I start tearing up and my wife will look over at me and like <laughs> shake her head. And it's she's not like even... fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> they just, it, I can't do it. They kill me. It took me forever, but I found I found that. And you're right. In the, I guess I didn't catch this because at this point, you know, the, the whole thing with them talking to Jules on the train platform because I hadn't met Jules yet. So then when I got in that story, I was like, oh, I think he saw this guy. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's in the arc. I'm not going to cover it here because anybody else that's reading it now will not have this in there. But yeah, I can see where that's that's a pretty big snafu. And I'm glad you guys caught that. I didn't catch it as a reader, so yeah, it yeah it's not as obvious. Yep. Yeah, because we haven't we haven't met Jules by that point. But I think careful readers will would think pretty poorly of us. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. You know, Axel's story, you really like. Clearly, you like your own story, rightfully so. Um, Caleb's done writing, so this might be the last fiction thing we see from him. Are, are you glad he's finally finally giving it up? I've been pushing for this for years. And it's he doesn't be a relief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a weight off of my own shoulders, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope that he. I don't know that reading this kind of reinvigorates it. Um, you know, I've, I've always loved his writing. I, he has such a, a unique voice and a unique slant on things. Um, I always, you know, when we were coming up in, and write club, this writing group that we were in, I always, I wondered why he wasn't a much bigger writer, you know? Yeah. I think that we, I think we feel the same way, but before, before we start pining for the loss of Caleb Ross, quick question. Did you, or did you not ever write, a short story called an, autobi an autobiographical record of how Caleb J. Ross ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> I did write that, and I laughed the entire time I was writing. <laughs> All right, just wanted to make sure that we we're on the same page about that. Um, that's, I mean, but that's 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 a touching story. You know, Caleb can ruin your life, and you can still appreciate his writing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Either that, or it's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> it's one of the two. <laughs> So the other night when we originally recorded this, um, you were working, you had mentioned you were working on a story, which here's the funny thing. I guess it's still breaking news to listeners of the podcast. <laughs> so because to us, it's not breaking news anymore because we already talked about this once. Do you want to tell, would you like to tell listeners the current story you're working on and, and what it's for? 
Uh, yeah, I, 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 actually, I finished it uh, yesterday and sent it over. But uh, I was writing a story called "Send Them the Chicago Sunset," which is an Alcatraz story for um, David James Keaton. Uh, since Keaton moved out to California, he's been to Alcatraz a couple times, and I guess in passing through the gift shop, he saw all these bunk books that were on the uh, the shelves that are just poorly uh, published self or bad self-published books. Um, so he got the idea to to curate or to edit a um, an Alcatraz anthology. So he sent out a call, and uh, Joe Clifford, who is another fantastic writer, um, is helping him edit it, and J. David Osborne of Broken River Books is going to put it out. Um, so it's all stories that relate in some way to Alcatraz. Um, he's Keaton's got a listing on his website about it, um, about stories. Some of his suggestions were like the Native American occupation of the island from 1969 to 1970. Um, the fact that the the Alcatraz staff cohabitated with the island with the uh, with the prisoners, um, you know, famous prisoners like um, the Birdman of Alcatraz and Capone and um, Creepy Carvis, and um, then more like speculative things like uh, Johnny Cash played a concert at Alcatraz, but the record company never released it, and Alcatraz closed down uh, five years before Cash did his concerts at San Quentin and Folsom. So, you know, like what happened, that was that, what terrible thing occurred that stopped the record company from releasing it and stuff like that. Um, and then it gets into weird Keaton stuff, like someone gets off of the Alcatraz tour and finds Michael Bay type stuff from The Rock, you know, like lurking in the the ruins of the prison or whatever. Um, <laughs> so it, it sounds like an awesome, uh, an awesome anthology. I, I did one about Al Capone, but it's like a, a weird take on Al Capone. So hopefully he likes it. Otherwise, Joe and David, I'll be crushed and I might stop writing. Do your own, do your own <laughs> anthology about Alcatraz. So we were talking before we got on this call. You just got to get it out before him. See, this is the key. There is, and there's probably a name for these kinds of movies <laughs> where you totally undercut and come out with some some kind of cheaper version of something beforehand. So I will tell you that the most so I'm gonna tonight I'm gonna watch something called Sinister Squad, which is a complete ripoff of Suicide Squad, but done with fairy tale characters that is timed to be out just a little bit before Suicide Squad. Um the most recent one though was Independence Day, and I say that trying to emphasize the T at the end of Independent. <laughs> which was about aliens coming. I, I didn't watch this, but I, I read the synopsis for it. And it came out like two weeks before Independence Day Resurgence. There was uh, Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies that came out right before um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. So maybe this, guys, this is what we do. We start doing this. We find out there's an anthology coming out and we very quickly cobble together whatever we can and put it out right before that one. So it looks like we're the originators <laughs> and we get some money off the people that don't know the difference between the two. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we undercut their shit. This is so the joke won't go as well because I already said this to Nick one time, but maybe if we do that, that's the place where we can put my gay werewolf prison erotica story. <laughs> Cause that's what I messaged Keaton and I told him that. And, um, but yeah, now that we've got this other anthology idea, can it be a werewolf, Livius? Listen, it could be whatever you want. So we're putting out officially putting out a call right now. If, <laughs> Ke if Keaton rejects your story, 
we will get it to press at least a week before he does in our own collection. So if it's rejected by Keaton, send it to uh, send it to bookpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. It's too bad that that conversation from last time wasn't recorded because there was about three or four minutes of terrible erotica pun. <laughs> yeah, there really was. That's yeah. probably the one thing from that from that recording I'm not going to miss at all. All well, I remember is the rock in a hard place. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's trying to bring it back over. Uh, yeah. But it was because the name of the anthology, the tentative name is Hard Sentences. That's right. And it was sentences like sent like a prison sentence, but also like a sentence from a, a story. But my take was on we really I want to emphasize the word hard. And that's why I wanted to go erotica. For anybody who wasn't on that call, which is everybody that's listening, that's that's the conversation. That's how I started. That's so that was my take on the conversation. Trying to think like <laughs> stiff sentences. <laughs> oh, I'm, try- like- I'm trying to name our anthology now. <laughs> Damn it! Oh man, um, I don't Part know. We could call arms. it. We could call it like the long stretch or something like that. <laughs> yeah, between that's the pretty bars. Good. Between bars, and I, I don't. We'll come up with something though. But this, this is our new. This is our ticket out the, of here, guys. The I'm big, telling you right now, like the big slammer or something like that. Yeah, these are all. These are all excellent. Yeah, we'll figure out something. At the all back right. of the book, like those old uh, paperback paperback books, you can have a coupon for Pichos. <laughs> oh my God! See, now this is this is someone who listens to the podcast right that there. Is, that is correct. Because even Livius and I haven't mentioned Pichos in probably at least five episodes. <laughs> Um, so other than then, uh, hopefully, Dan. Remember, if you can't find a home with Keaton, we've got your back. What's uh, what's next from uh, from Nick? What are we gonna see? Uh, I just signed a contract for something big and awesome that hasn't been announced yet, but hopefully will be within the next week or two, and I will be spamming the interwebs with it. Um. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I've got you another. Guys, you guys heard it here first. Vague casting. Yeah, vague casting. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We understand. We're we're so good at vague casting. You're uh, you fit right in. It's cl- close to your other uh, podcast, the Vape Cast, um. <laughs> where it's just Livius going <laughs> for like a fucking hour. Um, I've got another story in an anthology coming out. A, a Johnny Cash theme story that uh, I don't know if it's been announced or if it's uh, or what the deal with it is yet. Um, but other than that, my agent's got two books and we're real excited about them and hoping to uh, get them out on submission soon. But um, nothing real concrete to talk about yet. So, is there any anything that's that you're currently reading or that you're looking forward to reading that's new that you uh, that you're excited about? Uh, what have I read recently? Uh, I just read Disappearance of Devil's Rock, and it was awesome, as I expected it would be. Um, I'm, right now I'm reading The Second Life of Nick Mason by Steve Hamilton. Um, and it's about a, a con who gets out and gets conscripted into more terrible activities. Um, and I'm about a third of the way through. It's really good so far. Um, the Benjamin Percy run of Green Arrow comics was really good. Um, I read the Orphan Black comics and, comics, and they were awesome. 
Hold on a second. Rob, do you remember the Green Arrow saying? I don't even, I mean, no. Obviously, I don't. <laughs> Wait, is that the thing we were talking about when we went to that um, Comic-Con? I was waiting for, I was hoping Rob would just say, that's not the Green Arrow, that's the Green Lantern. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not so much. Okay. Oh, it's comics. It's totally lost on me. Hold on a second. Back up. Orphan Black comics. Are these like side stories to Orphan Black the series or are they Orphan Black in comic book form? Well, they have they have both. There's an original run of uh, it's like basically the stories, each of the clones. Um, So it's kind of chopped up a little bit more um, or I guess maybe collected as opposed to chopped up. Um, But then there's a five issue run called Orphan Black Helsinki. And have you seen season three of Orphan Black? I have seen all of Orphan Black. Okay. So they, they talk about, um, what's his name? Fernando says something about initiating Helsinki or some, mm-hmm. something along those lines. It's, um, they make a, a quick allusion to it, but it's that whole story and what happened oh. at the beginning of um, Project Lita and uh, how you get to see how atrocious or how terrible um, Hel- Project Helsinki actually was. It's cool. It's really interesting. Cool. I may I may give that a, I may give that a look this uh, this summer. It's all written by um, John Fawcett and uh, Graham Mason, the two creators of Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. Nice, very nice. Yeah. So I haven't really been reading um, reading a whole lot. I've been pretty busy. I've been reading a lot of Spanish books actually, or like Spanish articles because I've been trying to relearn it. Um, so I'm reading Gonzalo Baeza's book. Um, La Ciudad de Hoteles Facios, the city of vacant hotels. Um, and that's pretty cool so far. At least what I can understand of it. <laughs> You're like, but, what if you find out the book was way better and you just didn't understand all the stuff? That's what I'm worried a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think about me reading a Spanish book and it would be, and, and I'm going to try to do this. Un pescado, rojo pescado, <laughs> dos pescado. <laughs> like that's that would be like the Spanish you, book I would have to read. Yeah, like how to count fish, I guess would be. No, like what is that, Doctor Seuss? Like one fish, fish. Fish, blue fish. Right. Yeah, that oh, would be that I would see. be what I would have to. I would have Damn. to read in Spanish. Yeah, I'm slow today. I didn't even pick up on that. Wow. <laughs> I want a lot of TV because it's easier. <laughs> I just don't have the brain power when I get home. I want to. He- I want to hear the re- re- Livius's review of the Spanish translation of "One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish." <laughs> Maybe listen at the rate we're going. That might be an episode. Yeah, right? <laughs> during during Huggo Award Month. <laughs> so, were were you trying to transition transition us into TV talk, Nick? Is that what was going on there? Because I'm oh, sure no, Livius. We, we can. <laughs> Livius is probably going to want to talk about. Motherfucking Game of Thrones, I'm sure, because didn't that season just end or something like that? Listen, everybody's talking about Game of Thrones except for you. So I have plenty. Listen, here's the whole thing. I don't want. I I I don't really want to talk to any. Like, I try to avoid all the internet stuff on Game of Thrones because there are people who rewatch episodes over and over and over again and can pick up all the little things that predict what's going to happen. I I just want to see the story unfold. So I try to avoid long conversations about Game of Thrones, other than. Game of Thrones was pretty good last night. Like that's a good like conversation for me. <laughs> there were some heated uh, arguments I saw at work today about what was going on and what it meant. So I figured 
I don't know. Maybe you were going to get in on that kind of stuff. Nope. Still got to catch up on Preacher. I'm one episode behind. Oh, so man. Good. So you didn't see that. Oh, man. Like, probably my favorite scene in Preacher so far was that ridiculous motel fight scene. <laughs> it's just so amazing. It's it's high on my list of viewing priorities. It's right after Sinister Squad. That's <laughs> really wow. kind of where I'm at right that's, now. That's, that sounds like your priorities. Uh, that was such a good episode. In general, it was a good episode, but that goddamn fight scene. Because you didn't see it coming. And there's a moment when you realize, oh, man, they're just really going to push this as far as they can. And, oh, it was just so good. Well, it's it's so good and it's so inventive. And like like we were saying the other time, it's... The, the Clevenger text is absolutely accurate because they, they really <laughs> captured the tone and the um, just kind of the overall feeling of the comic without it being quite as nihilistic as uh, as uh, Garth Ennis was. Um, but then, like, the bodies just keep piling up and you sort of know that it's going to happen, but you don't, it doesn't really occur to you until you see a room full of these clone bodies. And then, like the shot through the key or the hole in the wall. Yeah. Oh. And what's what's so great about that episode is that there's this really violent beginning that is, you know, like incredibly violent. But you see the effects of the violence, and then the end scene. There, it is completely devoid devoid of graphic content, but it is so incredibly emotionally violent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And just. Like you'd never think that a piece of paper falling to the floor could be so devastating. Yeah, being intentionally vague. So, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to build it up so Livius gets to watching that movie real quick and jumps right onto preaching. <laughs> um, Nick did turn me on to the Americans not that long ago, and I did watch the first season. And man, that show is really something else. Now I didn't go on Facebook and post that I was watching something that's five years old because, <laughs> like, anybody gives a shit. So I'm telling you guys here, Nick, good call on the Americans. I am definitely going to cycle in season two soon, hopefully. I love that show. It is so really good, good stuff. Rob, Americans. Um, I think I watched a few episodes of the first season and I liked it, but I just didn't. Um, I didn't invest the time. There are some things where it's like I could do this, but I don't know. I just wasn't criminal minds. It's criminal minds. Well, that's the thing. So, like, Criminal Minds has had like a dozen seasons, and so I can just scroll through and read, like, a Netflix read descriptions of an episode until it's like, oh shit, that sounds messed up. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that episode. So I'm I'm cherry picking like. <laughs> the things that sound good to me instead of like dedicating myself to an entire series. No, is Criminal Minds a series where it's just that episodic that it, yeah, I'm it's not very procedural. It, I, you could just kind of pick. See, I don't, I can't put time into shows like that anymore. Every show I watch has to have like a very strong running storyline. I mean, they'll have like you know, you'll see something that happens to a character, and like, like a character will be gone a couple of seasons later, or like they will have lost a loved one or something like that, and they refer back to those things. So there is kind of like a, a a light, you know, kind of ongoing story, but it's very, you know, it's very procedural and episodic. Nick, we're talking comics. Anything for, like, Flash or Green Arrow? Or Arrow, I guess. CW <laughs> shows? No, honestly, um, I, I don't really watch any superhero stuff. Uh, I loved the Christopher Nolan Batman one when it came out, except for the last one. I mean, they're, they're cool. We watched um, we watched Iron Man 
when we were at a friend's house in Rhode Island a couple of years ago, and it was like, it was a fun movie, but it's just I don't know. It just doesn't really. There's so many other things that I want to watch that I'm more invested in than um, than the superhero ones, and I just it just doesn't quite grab me. I want to see the Avengers ones because I heard that Joss Whedon has done amazing things with it, but um, I think it was Avengers. I sort of yeah, he did the the two Avengers movies. The first one is is great. The second one is obviously the second one. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way about zombie stuff because I was always like super in love with the idea of zombies and reading zombie stories and stuff like that. But once they started becoming like The Walking Dead, I've never watched and stuff like that. And it's just like for some reason in this medium. I just have no interest. I'll watch a zombie movie, but I'm not even super excited about those. I think for some reason for me, the zombie stuff is, is better on the page. I don't know why. Yeah. After, um, I mean, I like the kind of the classic zombie ones and, you know, Shaun of the Dead is one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I think, I still think to this day, it's one of the most perfect screenplays of all time. Ooh, this gives me an opportunity to bring up something that I don't think I've brought up on the on the podcast before. Livius, I don't know if I've talked to you about this. Um, there's a YouTube channel called um, Every Scene a Painting. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Did I, did I bring that up before? This sounds vaguely familiar. Um, the idea is it's just a person who... who um, it's a YouTube channel where each episode or each video they post is... Um, analytical about a different you know part of the cinematic the the creation experience of like creating a film and so he'll analyze like david fincher is really good at doing this and then he does a breakdown of of you know what this scene means and how this scene being filmed this way is telling you this or um and so one of them was and why am i drawing a blank on the director of Shaun of the dead edgar wright edgar wright is great at um, doing um, comedy, like visual, like cinematic comedy. And like he was talking about the way that he'll transition from one scene to another or, you know, just things appearing on screen and stuff in a way that um, the typical uh, film would do in a very boring transitional way. And and Edgar Wright sees it as an opportunity to, to have a creative moment and his own kind of like unique take on things. So, Every, I think it's called Every Frame a Painting. I think that's the name of it, but it's just like the most interesting kind of analysis of of people's film techniques. And, and the big thing that he's had to say about Edgar Wright was that he does visual comedy in, in movies better than practically anybody else that's out there right now. Yeah. Have you ever seen Spaced? The series Ooh, not the whole thing, but I have watched some of the episodes, yeah. That's oh, so good. You get so many echoes of what he does in his movies. Like, it's obvious that he had a lot of that, you know, in space that, yeah. and it kind of, he found it, he found a way to make it into like, to make those things happen in the movies. I, the first time I saw space was right after, um, Shaun of the dead came out. I saw, I saw the film at, um, the Charles theater, which is in Baltimore. I think I saw it four times in the first three days that it came out. <laughs> wow. Um, and, uh, I found spaced after that cause some guy at a bar told me about it. And the only ha- the only way they had it was in um, Region Two, I think, the mm. UK ones. So I ordered that from Amazon and then changed the region on my laptop to Region Two, so I couldn't watch. <laughs> the only thing I could watch was Spaced and Enter the Dragon, which for some reason I had on <laughs> Region Two. But you can oh, only change the funny. computer so many times, so I just left it as that. 
All right. Um, so a couple a couple of things. Spaced is a TV series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a super super nerdy, but like very intelligently nerdy. I think and pop culture saturated um, show from was it like two thousand two thousand two something like that. Nineteen ninety nine. I thought you guys were talking about a movie, and all I kept coming up with was the space TV series, which is yeah. why I asked. If oh. yeah. yeah. Simon Pegg and some of his other cohorts. Uh, Nick Frost is in it, right? Yeah. Jessica Hines. And, yeah. She's and it's. Yeah, um, kind of like a co like a cohabitation kind of situation, like roomy roomy kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, they pose as a couple to get a um, to get a cheaper. That's what it flat. is. Yeah. Now I'm gonna throw out a zombie movie because I was letting you guys just go talking about Simon Pegg for, for like eight minutes. <laughs> Edgar Wright, man, the dude's oh, a genius. My, my whole point in bringing that up was since I've seen Spaced, I've been trying to write a noir or crime novel. That's like the noir equivalent of spaced for <laughs> ten years, twelve years, and I've never been able to crack it. Oh, I've that had like amazing. six different synopses that I've mapped out, like seven or eight pages, <laughs> and then I look at it and I'm like, "This is fucking terrible." That's going to be your like your opus. One day I will write it, and then I'll probably spontaneously combust as soon as I finish writing it. <laughs> Love it. I never think of Shaun of the Dead as a zombie movie. I mean, I know that's what it is, but it's kind of like Cemetery Man. It's one of my favorite movies. It's also a zombie movie, and I just never think of them when zombie movies come up. Mm-hmm. Um, La Horde is probably the best zombie movie I've seen, in, and I think it's French. I've heard about that. Yeah, I, I really like that one. Um, so, yep, La Horde. Uh, that was a 2009. I can't believe it only has a 5.9 rating on IMDb. Just <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great because it's, um, cops go to like this semi abandoned tenement, whatever, kind of like drug den, um, to raid it. And the second they get there is when like the big zombie outbreak happens. So it's like cops and criminals having to team up together against a horde of zombies and they're trapped in a, in like a high rise apartment building. Uh. So it's not a lot of out in the open. All of it's very kind of tight, closed quarters, zombie stuff that makes sense there is no you know drive out to this farm you know right the thing it's all taking place in small apartments in this apartment complex great stuff but that's probably my favorite zombie movie that i've seen in the last i don't know probably since like 28 days yeah Hmm. so speaking of that rob you said you like zombie books have you ever read fiend no it's uh (laughs) it's a zombie novel but for some reason, whatever the virus is that makes people into zombies, it doesn't affect meth heads. So the only people that are safe are meth heads. That so sounds brilliant. It's amazing. It's it. It's get, it obviously gets pitched as uh, Breaking Bad meets Walking Dead. Sure. But um, it is so funny. I mean, like it's funny and it's disgusting and it's kind of disturbing. But it's a really really good read. I can't remember who wrote it. Huh. I'll have to check that out. Lazy summer of podcasting. We're not reading books right now. I can do whatever the hell I want. There you go. Uh, Fiend, a novel by Peter Stenson. I believe that's, that's my, it. Yeah. Might be what you're. It's not a cool author name, but I'll still check it out. <laughs> you never know. Might be okay. Maybe the guy's writing under a pseudonym and he has a really cool author name. Yeah. But Nick, anything else you want to plug before we uh, we let you go? I know we've gone off on. So we've done <laughs> we've done more tangential stuff. I think. <laughs> that we did actual soul standard stuff, but um, anything else you want to talk about before we, we let you go? 
I think that's it. Go read Paul Tremblay's book. Yeah. That book was great, man. It was. The only thing that sucks about reading Paul Tremblay books is, like, unless you have another one waiting when you're done, it's, like, another year or two before you get the next one. So. Yeah. Here's the thing that sucks about telling people to read Paul Tremblay's book is Stephen King told them to read Paul Tremblay's book. So, really, <laughs> Paul's never, ever going to mention that you told him to read your book. Because why? why well, I, was, I was on the fence when Stephen King said it, but now that now that Nick Corpon says it, I'm on it. Well, it's nice, it's nice to see. I've seen a couple writers who's who's books i've liked for a really long time and now they're i think they're really starting to like both hit their authorial stride and they're also finally well really getting noticed like um like paul is one steven um steven graham jones another yep megan abbott's last couple books have been skyrocketing um and i I mean she's been on simon schuster for a long time and her her early books are great but her last like four books have just been you know phenomenal so it's cool to follow people for a long time and see them really start to hit it, you know? Yeah, we're starting to experience that with the podcast. Um, now that we've we've been doing this for five years, it's like we've definitely seen the the growth of, of certain uh, writing careers, and it's really cool. It's cool to say, like, hey, I knew that guy when he was, you know, not, you know, not a big name. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. And you'll be, uh, hopefully, these uh, these two books that are with your agent will have us saying that about you. I hope so. I think yeah. they're cool. But I, I can never really tell. I think they're either amazing or terrible. <laughs> well, for, <laughs> <Not really> sure. <laughs> for you, uh, when you hit it big, I will be able to say, hey, do you want to see a picture of that guy uh, where he looks like he wet his pants when he's wearing a <laughs> Canadian tuxedo? And they'll be like, of course I do. That'll be my author photo. And I'll be, and I'll be like, it's the wallpaper on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Nick, thanks so much for joining us um, again. And by again, I mean not only uh, doing another interview with us, but I mean again as in we made you do this twice for one interview. So thanks so much for all of that. We really appreciate it and love having you on. Not a problem. It's been great talking to you guys. All right. Big thanks to Nick Corpin. Can you just say his last name for me? Corpon. Corpon, Nick Corpon, Nick, I apologize so much because for some reason I keep thinking you're mispronouncing your own name. So in the event that you're listening to this, that's what it is. Big thanks uh, to him <laughs> for uh, doing this, not once but twice. I remember, man, maybe episode three this happened where we didn't have a recording. Mm-hmm. Or no, but, uh, I think we had to re-record because the quality was too bad. I think that was what it was. I don't think it was like that we lost the audio. I just think it was shitty audio. That could be. I remember we had to do this once, but it was many, many years ago when we were young. Yeah, that was that's a word we could have applied to ourselves at one point in our lives. Yeah, that's right. So, and a big thanks to Caleb J. Ross who um, joined us in the first half of this episode. Um, that is the first half of the authors that uh, appear in the Soul Standard. Um, we should have, barring unforeseen circumstance, <laughs> um, two more coming for you: Richard Thomas and Axel Tayari. Um, scheduling between four people and one of them lives and I don't know, he moves around a lot. So I, I think he's currently in France, maybe, um, mm. with Axel scheduling might be a little tricky. So I don't know if it's going to be exactly a week until you get it, but meh, it's lazy summer. We warned you it's called the lazy summer. So yeah. you'll get it when you get it. I guess. <laughs> Last time I talked to Axel, he was in Denmark still, I believe, um, we drunk Skyped him when we were in LA. I don't know if you knew we did that. Um, I don't, I don't think I knew that. 
drunk skyped him again. So, but yeah, um, Livius is right with the with with the logistics of just scheduling these interviews. We're gonna try and keep it as quickly as we can. But man, like as you can see so far, this this episode is quite late. So we'll do everything we can to get it to you um, as timely as possible. But just bear with us. Lazy summer, you should be lazy as well. And um, yeah. Lazy listening. Lazy summer more, of listening think, to podcasts. <laughs> I don't think it's any more lazier than listening to a podcast. I mean, what can you do other than like sleep? <laughs> Livius, you're just stepping on our on our listenership right now. Yeah, I know. I'm okay with it. You can be lazy about your respect for our, our listeners during the lazy summer of podcasting. It's very true. I love all um, of you, each and every one of you, even you, the one who's thinking you don't love me. I love you too. <laughs> so um, following up, I think that in order to just keep everything straight, following these two episodes of interviews, you're probably going to catch us doing an interlude just so we can kind of reorient everything and have a little time to set up some of our our upcoming uh, event um, uh, episode kind of <laughs> thoughts and plans that we've got going on. Rob, so, so Rob and I talked off air, which means we're probably doing a book review after that because we don't know how to lazy summer podcast. There's a book <laughs> Rob really wants to review, and, and I'm with them on this. I mean, I'm willing um, to bend the rules and just read it, a review it after you know the that. lazy summer. Can I can I tease something? We've got something really cool coming up, and, and I'm going to be very vague about it, but I do have confirmation that we are going to be reviewing another collection that's got something a little special going for it. It's oh, yeah, yeah. So you that saw one, arcs, arcs in our inbox? I did not, but I'll trust you on that. That one approached us, too. It's nice when we have someone to say, hey, can we do this? Yeah, and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun and maybe a nightmare for Rob. So we haven't worked out the details yet. <sighs> yeah. So until next time, I'm Livius Nedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.